Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when today I have such, such, such an honor to introduce you, Nancy Fernand, our special guest on the show today with us. Uh, Nancy is someone that really special. First of all, she is a three-time founders. She truly is a serious entrepreneur. She also well known for being the energizer bunny with a boundless energy. She enjoys kite surfing. Today, she's a leading. She's leading the fright venture early stage, a positive impact business investing. So she's really focusing on a business that addressing the world most concerned, most pressing problems. And with that, everybody, I am just so so excited. Thank you so much, Nancy, for joining us. And welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much.、Uh, I realized that I didn't give you an update before we started. So, is it all right if I go ahead and give an update on the work front? Yes, please. Great. So,、um, right now, I'm a partner in two、uh, two investment vehicles that are syndications. One is Flight Ventures, which you mentioned, which is the world's largest investment vehicle of syndicates. Four、uh, thousand backers almost today. Wow! And we invest as generalists, but I personally, as you know, have a soft spot and desire to help minority founders and positive impact companies. So that's my main focus.、Mm -hmm. uh, also, just hot off the press <laughs> last night,、uh, finalized、uh, an agreement with. Well, we we all went in on it, I guess I should say,、um, with. Two wonderful female investors out in the valley who were going to get together and start a near future syndicate. So that's a byproduct of Near Future Summit and of the desire to again invest in positive impact founders and minority founders.、Um, and then the third is my main day to day job, which is with ABG, which is Alumni Ventures Group. It is the most active, or was the most active in 2020. Venture capital firm. They invested in over 234 deals and syndicated 200 million in over 300 million in、um, investments, which in a year's time, you know, multiply by three would make you around a 900 million dollar、uh, fund if it were structured that way.、Um, and my my role there is to co-lead one of their 24 funds, which is called Towerview Ventures, which is associated with、um, or proud representative of Duke University. Wow, with that have connection to Duke, that's amazing. Yeah, so I went to Duke for grad school, and、um, they the way the funds are structured is that each fund raises from LPs that graduated from that school. So it's not an official affiliation with Duke,、um, and none of the funds are officially affi、uh, affiliated with the schools. But they try and offer opportunity for investors to come in at smaller check sizes and get involved in venture、oh. capital. Right now, you know, for the most part, to get into top tier funds, you have to write pretty big checks. So not every day people can do that.、Um, the idea is to allow them to get involved at a 50k level, and that way they can also co-invest in the deals they like, even sometimes due diligence deals alongside us. So just kind of getting a taste of what venture really is. Wow, that's incredible! Well, the fact that we're blue today represents blue. Definitely,、uh, yeah, you are. That's awesome. Yes, that's so amazing, and thank you so much, Nancy. You know, sounds like, of course, you are.、Uh, wow, I don't know how do you balance your day. You have a thousand jobs. Sounds like, how do you even have time for the podcast? So we're so so grateful for your time, and I would love to kind of start with, you know, the impact investing. Sounds like you're really passionate about it with all the things that you involve. I wonder, 
Where does that passion come about? Why it matters so much to you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think some people are just born that way, like born caring <laughs> about other people, born to care about the environment. And I guess for me, it was partially that and partially that I feel like I was given so much in my life. I was so, I've been so incredibly lucky family I was born into, the schools I got to go to, the opportunities that I've had. And so part of me wants to do some good with what I was given and mm -hmm. help uh, alleviate some of the problems in the world. And then the other side of things is that I love the outdoors and I love being outside and I love the environment and I find it really sad what is mm -hmm. happening to our ecosystem. So whatever I can mm -hmm. do to support that, um, I would like to do. Wow, that's such a beautiful intention. I think the world truly is a better place, Nancy. You have someone like you and truly uh, focusing on the good and really creating a positive impact every single day. I love that. And a beginning of your story, Nancy, you are a serious entrepreneur, and that's how you kind of you know um, have your journey until today. I'm curious, do you always know you want to be entrepreneurs? Do you always know you love investing? How do you kind of moving from that journey to who you are today? Oh, wow, what a great question. Um, so entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism, I don't even know if that's technically a word. Um, <laughs> it's in my blood. So my grandfather's an entrepreneur, my great grandfather's an entrepreneur, my dad oh. even claims to not be, I see him as an entrepreneur. Um, my uncle as well, my mom is very risk, you know, high risk taker. I, I think it just was something I always was destined to, to do. And my first company, I didn't even set out to be an entrepreneur. I just saw a problem and confided to the person ex expressing this problem, I can solve that for you. And then it snowballed into me solving it for her and all of her network and then her friend's network and the network's network beyond that. Uh, and that's when I realized, oh, this is kind of fun. You know, I get to do my own thing. I get to solve problems. I get to build something from the ground up and I really liked it. So that was my first company right out of engineering school, which was very small and I will say technically total failure. But I enjoyed the process and learned a lot of the lessons um, the hard way, pretty young. Which was great. And then from there, I worked in another startup. I dabbled in consulting for about a year and a half, did not enjoy that, which I'm happy to tell that story another time, but it's really not relevant, I think, to this conversation. Um, and I tripped over and fell into venture capital, actually. Uh, I met, I was at an event and my mom's high school friend was there. And we were just chatting and catching up. And she told me what she was working on. She was a VC for a clean tech fund out in California. And I thought, wow, that's the coolest thing ever, you know, getting to help the environment, working with entrepreneurs, solving problems, managing a network of people, sort of things like all these things sounded really exciting to me. So uh, I'd already applied to grad school at the time. And she said, well, why don't you interview for a role with us and really go to grad school? And so I did. And I got the job, moved to California two weeks later. And, and that was it. I was hooked. I was hooked to venture capital. And I never left VC startup space. Uh, I haven't left the VC startup space since. Wow. And what do you like about the VC startup world? What made you hooked? What inspired you? Whew. Uh, great question again. Um, I think for me, it's the aspect of getting to help people that are really passionate about what they're doing. And mm -hmm. it is hard because 90% of the time you have to say no, but you get good at saying no in a way that is helpful, I think, or I hope. Mm -hmm. um, but you get that joy of just being around this highly energized person who's just really passionate about what they're doing. 
Um, two is you constantly are learning. I mean, mm -hmm. I am severe intellectual ADD. I joke. Like, I have to be learning all the time and be challenged all the time in order to feel alive. And that always happens in venture because you can never know everything. There's always someone who knows more than you about something, and the technologies are always changing. So it's it you have to be very adaptive. Um, third, I think is it's good for my personality type. It it's very for the most part, even a, in a junior role at a fund, you have a lot of autonomy. At least I had that experience, and so I get to you know figure out my own day and and control my own schedule for the most part, and that's really good for someone with my my work style. And then the last piece of it was really, so it's the tech and the people and the networking, really. Like, I love meeting new people and I love trying to find people who will help each other and putting them together. And that's a really big part of being a VC if you want to be helpful to your portfolio companies, or at least that's the way that I contribute to my portfolio companies. Wow, that's perfect. I can see that you're such a people, people, and you love create positive impact. Marry both together, become a VC. That's amazing. Yeah, it's fun. And earlier you mentioned about, you know, you kind of, when you started your own entrepreneur journey, right? It's probably not that easy, right? You you, you have succeeded, some, you kind of failed some, and along the way today, you're working in many entrepreneurs um, you know, along with your VC journey. I wonder how do you see failure? When you see whether it's yourself or the startup founders you're working with, how did he or she perceive or react to failure? How do you see that today, you know, coming on the other side of the journey, the process? Yeah. Oh, I think failure is a hundred percent necessary. You know, it, bring, it it brings our ego down to, to earth. It grounds us. It teaches us important lessons. I yeah. see a, a necessary step to take in life at this point. Uh, 99.9% .9 of startup founders fail. So you just got to get used to the fact that you're going to fall down. You got to pick yourself back up and keep going. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't see it as a bad thing at all. You say 99% of startup will fail? Something like that. I mean, I, I pulled that, I, I made that up in my head a little bit, but I, I have to imagine that 99 around, because you think of all the companies that never even make it to venture backing, that just people just started in their garage or wherever and never mm -hmm. even got to that stage. We don't have a lot of statistics on that. And mm -hmm. if you look at the statistics for venture backing companies, I mean, there, there is a high rate of failure. Wow. And, you know, with that, Nancy, I'm, I'm curious, you know, with your experience with, with working with so many different types of startups, so what makes startup success versus failure? Will you, huh. Is it easy to say, is there a few things that you can characteristically, um, you can summarize, or is any trend you're seeing regarding that success versus failure? I think... There are two ways to answer this question. One is I'm a pretty early stage investor. So a later stage investor is going to have a different answer. But if you're talking yeah. about seed deals, a lot, yeah. it's very, I think it's very easy to, well, I don't know yet. I mean, I was actually talking to a friend the other day and I told her what um, my return has been. And she was like, that's crazy high. And I was like, I did not realize that. I mean, maybe I need to recalculate this and make sure. Um, but my portfolio return seems to be at the high end of the spectrum. Wow. So maybe I'm right about this. So here we go. Um, one, I think I use my gut instinct a lot. I think your subconscious, this is going to sound super spiritual and hippie, but your subconscious knows what's coming and knows what will happen. And when it talks to you, your intuition, your gut instinct, that's it telling you whether or not to do something. Uh, so gut instinct is really important for me. I pride myself in trying to be a human lie detector. So 
sometimes founders will lie to you and you have to decide and, and you can tell and you have to decide is this a lie I can live with or is this a lie that needs to, you know, that, that can't, kills the deal. Um, so human lie detector I think is really important. Um, just having a really good read on people, whether that person is honest, trustworthy with your money, um, going to do what they say they're going to do, really passionate about what they're doing so that when shit gets hard, they keep going anyways. Um, so we've got gut, people read, and then there's like the metrics, right? But this is seed stage. So you really have to look at things like, um, you know, is the team a good team? Is there, is there a market? Is the market big enough? Um, what's their go-to-market strategy? Can they scale it? Uh, at this point, maybe they have some pilot companies, so you can look at KPIs in that sense. Um, I'm sure I'm going to forget something off the top of my head. Competition, obviously, is a big uh, factor that we look at. Um, the product itself, IP, defensibility, like is it something that you know you can easily recreate in the market or will they have a foothold? Do they have first mover advantage, which means like are they the first to market and is it sticky, meaning are they going to keep the customers that they get when they're first to market? Um, so you can look at, I've got about a like, two page document of all the questions I like to ask. I never get to all of them because it's very long. Maybe it's three pages actually. and. It varies per company, but that is the due diligence process versus the gut instinct. So I'll do a first call with the founder within those 30 minutes. I'll have a gauge of whether or not this is someone I want to keep talking to. And then by the end of the due diligence process, I'll do a, a fully analytical side of things, which is very you know straightforward, black and white. And then I'll do a gut instinct side of things. And somewhere in there, there's probably a mix of pattern recognition that I've, I've picked up over the years that's really hard to put your finger on. And the only way I think you can really get that is by experience, is through experience. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> I don't know about that, just basics, I guess. <laughs> and you mentioned about, you know, gut instinct a lot. You know, Nancy, I, I, I can totally see you have such a strong confidence of who you are, and you can listen to really what is inside of you. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm curious, do you always this confident and knowing who you are, knowing what you want in life? Or do you just, is that involved a lot of time? No, I was not. I was a very shy high schooler. Um, in fact, yeah. I don't know if I want people to find it, but there is a YouTube video that I, I did to talk about my high school experience. It was not great. Um, the talk was fine. The, the experience itself is not great. So, you know, for me, it took me a long time to figure out who I was. It took me a long time to decide what I wanted in life and to um, come into my own. But I think that's very typical for especially females. You know, with the societal pressures to be one way or another, it's very difficult to break out of that unless you have a you know really strong role model um, being what you want. And I have two amazing parents who have been great role models to me. Um, but if you watch that video, you understand where the struggles came from and it took me time to find myself. And I think I finally did that in my late twenties. Well, that's very powerful because I know today you are very passionate about supporting female entrepreneurs as well. And oftentimes when I met other female entrepreneurs, even though her idea is so brilliant, so amazing, so wonderful, but oftentimes she doesn't, you know, compared to male versus female, just generalizing speaking, sometimes I felt I, I tend to see female entrepreneurs are a little bit more, less confident in that way, more modest and less boastful, yeah. right? But I felt when you speak, you truly speak the truth of you, I have so much passion come out. So I'm just curious about if you have any advice to share with other entrepreneurs, other 
female uh, professionals who are looking into someone like you for inspiration and helping her to find her own voice, finding her own presence and finding who she really is. Mm, wow, uh, that's a lot of a lot of pressure to put on me there, Wynn. Um, <laughs> I think I still downplay my accomplishments sometimes. I've gotten, I've had to get really, I have had to practice talking about my accomplishments so that I feel comfortable saying them. Um, I think that again, it is unfortunately a, it likely a, a huge generalization, but like a male female thing where we're taught to downplay our accomplishments so that we don't upset the status quo. Uh, and for me, I had a friend, a few years back kind of wake me up to, hey, you're not representing yourself well enough on LinkedIn. She's like, your bio doesn't represent what you've accomplished. So she rewrote my bio for me. And ever since then, I've used it as a template to, I keep adding to it, changing it slightly, you know, as I accomplish new things. And that is the bio that I talk about when I speak about what I'm working on. Um, and so, Advice-wise, I guess it is kind of hard, I think, especially for people who don't want to beat their chest to be like, look at me, look at me. Uh, it is very hard to get yourself comfortable with talking about your accomplishments without downplaying them. And so what I would suggest is maybe find a friend that can help you do it. It's painful to watch, to write your own CV. It's the same concept. You know, have your friend help you write your bio and then you learn that bio like an elevator pitch on yourself, of yourself. Um, and this is going to be woo woo again, but it's a podcast, so I can say whatever I want. Right. Um, you have to love yourself. You have to genuinely love yourself for who you are and not what you've accomplished. Uh, material things, accolades, they do not matter when it comes to really self love. And so studying self love and how to fully embody who you are, all your faults, all your weaknesses, that to me is the, the way to really have confidence because no matter what's happening externally, internally, you are, you are stable. Wow, that is such a powerful statement, Nancy. I love what you said about we are not our accomplishment, we are not our fancy bags, no hairs, we are who we are, despite all those things, you know, outside of us. And I want to bring our conversation back to entrepreneurship. And I'm just imagining my head today in this pandemic world, it's not easy. Start a start world, it's not easy, right? You mentioned earlier, 99% of startup will fail, right? So I made it up, but I think that's it. <laughs> you know, if it's a shishi, a incredible entrepreneur have so much passion, but maybe get defeated by a temporary failure a couple of notes in a way. What advice, how would you advise her talking about self-love, talking about you know everything we just discussed here, how would you advise her to really pick herself up and get going tomorrow again and knowing that today's no doesn't mean tomorrow's no? Well, oh, I, I can tell this, this person or you know this theoretical person what worked for me, uh, but I actually realized after my, my three companies and not one nonprofit. I'm, I'm an, I love entrepreneurial like endeavors, but I'm better as a venture capitalist because the roller coaster ride you have to go on to be a founder is very difficult. And it is only meant for those who do not get stressed out easily, who do not get anxiety, who just roll with the punches and can live in this flow state. I am good at that on vacation, not so good at that when it comes to work. So, um, I think in general, my advice would be 
silly things like, or it's going to sound silly. Uh, write little post-it notes to yourself, put them all over the house. Like I am amazing. I am love. I am smart. I am worthy. I am, you know, I have morals or whatever things that you love about yourself, put those around the house. So it's daily reminders to practice the mantra. I am not my company. I am not my company because you are not your company. And if your company has a bad day, it doesn't mean you have to have a bad day. Uh, three would be meditate. I got really into meditation starting in like 2017. Wish I'd found it sooner. Got really dove into it when I was uh, living with a monk in 2019. And that has changed my life. That for me is where I become grounded, where I find my peace, where I do my daily mantras, where I calm my mind. I try and do it in the morning and the evening. It's helped my sleep. It's helped my concentration. I mean, there are just a number of things that you gain from meditation. And I think having an outlet for having an outlet for your stress. So for me, it's exercise. Uh, I, I teach yoga. I do the Peloton. I go on long walks, whatever it may be for you, having that outlet to get the stress out so that you can reset and go back to your day or the next day without holding on to that anxiety from whatever happened is really important. Wow, Nancy. That is just so fascinating. Did you say that you lived with a monk 2019? Not for very long, for two weeks, but it was life-changing. <laughs> what inspired you? Tell us more. What inspired you and how does that experience? That's so interesting. I would love to try that. That sounds amazing. Uh, I want to go. I want to, I would love to do a month in a monastery, like and really experience it. This was a this was a monk who had turned his farmland into I don't know what if I wouldn't call it a monastery per se, but he turned it into a retreat center uh, where he had only two people at a time and the schedule was set. You gave up all your electronics, your books, your journal, everything at the beginning and you couldn't have access to that. And so all you could do was eat, walk, sit around, meditate, like there was really nothing to do. It was taking, and it was after I just stepped down to the board of my last company and I was used to being wired and high on caffeine and go, 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 go. And I just, I had to just stop doing everything. And that was a huge challenge. And it was the, but it was in that, the, the first week I was there that I had my first experience of truly that meditative Zen state. I had been meditating for two years but I hadn't actually felt that euphoric high that you get when you hit that 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 state. I don't know, even know how to call it. It feels like an out of body experience. And ever since then, those two weeks, I you know it continued on. I had it a few more times. Ever since then, I've been trying to get back to that state. So every time I meditate, I'm like, will it be this time? You know. And I I I think the more you practice, the better you get. The more easily it more easy it is to drop into that. If friends have said. Um, but I haven't quite mastered that part of it yet, but it still brings me a lot of joy and it still brings me a lot of the benefits and meditation brings. It's just at another level than it could be if I probably spent more time in the, in a, with a monk or if I, I eventually go stay in a monastery, I hope. Wow, that's a beautiful experience. Sounds like you have you know, some pivotal transformations during that two weeks period of time. I think that's really, really interesting. Thank you. And uh, Nancy, I wonder, you know, today you have done a lot, seen a lot, experienced a lot. I wonder today what bring you joy, what inspired you, what continue to drive you forward? 
Mm. I think it's a lot of things we've already spoken about. I mean, I love, I love my job. I love getting up and my job being just being an investor, period. You know, I love getting up and getting to learn new things, meet with new people, help founders. You know, it makes me feel good to be doing good. And so it's a selfish it's a selfish task in a way because I get to feel good from doing my job. But that's okay. You know, that's that's inspiring in and of itself. So. I think that I think that answers your question. Basically, what inspires me is that I love to get. If you love your job, it doesn't feel like a job, right? So that that's my goal is to stay in venture the rest of my career and continue to love it. And I hope to within you know twelve months be a partner level, hopefully just focused on positive impact. That would be the that would be the dream. Um, but definitely, you know, doing things that I care about and helping companies that I care about and helping founders that I care about. You speak with so much passion, Nancy, and I can totally see why you know you are so successful. Truly, you're so passionate about what you do. You love your work. You probably never worked a day. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah that's right. And I'm curious, you know, Nancy, just another weird question. Um, hypothetically, say we have a magic wand and you can go back in time. Will you change anything along the journey or would you? Hmm. No, I think no, because if I changed anything along my path, I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. So every decision is a fork in the road. Everything that happens molds you and changes you. And, you know, there are some things that I question why I made those decisions or mm -hmm. question being in a place at a certain time. But if I changed that, I'd be a totally different person. And I love who I am. So why would I change that path? Amazing. What would you tell your younger version of yourself, say 20 years old? What would you tell her? 20 years old. Drink or 25. <laughs> <laughs> Take less Adderall. Like I was a, I was at UVA at 20. I was partying hard and working hard. I was pulling three all-nighters to finish a report for East for engineering school. And then I'd go out and party. Like I was insane. I would say reserve some of that energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the energetic bunny after all, so not surprising. Oh man. Well, I, I think as you get older, I, I definitely I got that nickname when I was at Kleiner, but that was some time ago now, five, over five years ago. So I think as you get older, you you know, you calm down a bit. And I still have a lot of energy for for I think some of my age, but I think that's yeah, that's what I would tell my younger self. Like, slow down a little bit. Life's not going anywhere. <laughs> that is incredible. And really, you know, thank you, Nancy, for your time, your beautiful wisdom, your incredible insight. You know, you are just such a, an incredible businesswoman, not just, you know, smart, but really have a beautiful heart. And you really drive into something that beautiful, whether it's a positive impact or supporting minority founders. And I can truly see you just wanted to have fun and really making this world a better place along the way. So I am so honored to have this conversation. Really want to thank you for your time. And I know everything you hope tomorrow will come and the whole world will be a better place because of you. Aw, thank you so much, Ben. That's really sweet of you. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. I love your energy. I love your story, which you didn't share this time. But uh, for those listening, you know, you came from what a very small rural town in China, I believe, without internet. 
and look at you now. So I, I think it's incredible what you're doing and I'm happy to been able to support you. Thank you so much, Nancy. And thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate you and hope you enjoyed today's show. And we cannot wait to see you guys next week. <laughs>